This is the podcast of Theophilus Church. For more information, visit our website at theophiluschurch.com. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Will you recite the creed with me? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good evening. It's wonderful to see you all this fine evening. Before we get into the scripture, um, I just want to continue on. Thank you so much for leading us in that, Megan. That was amazing. But I, I that, especially that last song, just kind of overwhelmed with uh, a sense of gratitude and praise. And I just want to spend just the opening minutes of uh, our time in prayer and just uh, communal reflection of the goodness of God. Um, so let's spend a few moments in, in quiet, but if, if something in your, in your heart or your spirit um, wells up just with a sense of gratitude to share or to declare, um, let's just uh, declare gratitude to God here for, for a few moments. So let's be quiet and, and yeah, express our thanks. Jesus, you are so good. Um, God, may just the heart of gratitude spring forth from our being and give us 
the ability to see you moving um, all around us in a world of chaos. You are still present. Overwhelm us with gratitude. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Two quick announcements before we get into uh, the Sermon on the Mount again and our continuation of this journey we've been going through in Epiphany. Um, so yesterday was a great day. Um, we had the opportunity to go to the potential new space in Milwaukee and, and walk around. Thank you to all who were able to make it out. Um, if you were unable to make it out and you still want to go and check things out, come and let me know and we'll see about um, setting up a time for you to go and and check it out. Um, for those of you who are unaware, our, our church is in the process of discerning where the next chapter of our life is going to be physically. Um, this church is being sold, and um, so we're in the discerning process and, and currently are specifically looking at an opportunity in Milwaukee um, as a potential next step for, for our community. So uh, as a reminder, we are use, taking this week to continue on in prayer and a time to ask questions, and we are taking a poll from, it started yesterday, and it's going until Saturday. Um, you can find the, the poll at theophiluschurch.com forward slash poll. It's a really uh, genius um, website for you to go to. Um, it's really quick. It's just a couple uh, questions to have you fill out really quick and so that we can get the pulse of where our community at, is at with that. So that will be going until Saturday. Please come talk with me or any other staff, council, elder. If Actually, if you are a staff member, a council person, or an elder, would you please stand up so everybody in the community knows um, who they can come and talk to if you have further questions about this. Um, so talk to one of these people, and um, if you have questions, or myself, and we can help with that. Secondly, um, so Bill Jastrom uh, has done, he's pastored a long time and has done many classes periodically in this church that are held off uh, site during the week. And he is starting his next one um, toward the end of February, February 25th. Him and Stuart have partnered up and they're doing a class on music, intimacy, and God. So looking at um, music and how music can kind of draw us into intimacy and relationship with God and um, exploring how different composers put together music to lead us to those ends and stuff like that. So way out of my world and league, but um, Bill and Stuart have a passion for this stuff, um, and it's going to be a great class held at the Milwaukee location starting February 25th. Um, him and Pastor Ed over there made an arrangement, and so whether we move or not, it's, this class is going to be there, so go ahead. Um, you can speak with Bill. He's right, over, right there. Uh, afterwards if you have questions about that class, but that's coming up, okay? Tonight we are going to continue on where Desiree left off uh, in the Sermon on the Mount last week. If you weren't here last week and you missed her sermon, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. She did a wonderful job of leading us through the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, where Jesus gives the famous Beatitudes. Um, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, the persecuted, all of these things. Um, she did a wonderful job of leading into that. The text that we're looking at tonight comes right on the tail end of the Beatitudes, so it's right after. Um, and all week, it, it was one of these texts where internally, like, 
I'm, I wrestle a little bit. Whenever you like immerse yourself in the teachings of Jesus, you realize that Jesus wasn't like this. Like he was kind of an extreme dude. <laughs> and you're like, Jesus, like tame it down a little bit. You know, how do I take these words and just make them commonplace for us common folk, you know? Um, and so for me, just in preparing the sermon, it's been this wrestling, like how, how do we immerse ourselves in this text, which has like this extreme call to it, um, and how can we relate to it as just average Joes trying to follow Jesus together? So tonight is going to be a little bit of an exploration of, of perhaps what this passage um, can offer us. In order to get into it, though, so we're looking at well, actually, I've been doing this and it's been working for me. The destination tonight, the point, the one point that we're getting to, is going to be talking about the concept of surrender. Hopefully, the, the text tonight can lead us to this place to talk about what does it look like to be a surrendering community? What does it look like as individuals to surrender over to God? So again, if the journey goes haywire, that's what we're ultimately trying to, to get to. That's going to be the point of tonight's sermon. In order to immerse ourselves into this story, though, and to try and map, wrap our minds around or enter into the story of what it means when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world, we have to kind of enter the scene of the Sermon on the Mount a little bit. So when you conceptualize the Sermon on the Mount, if you're like me, um, I conceptualize Jesus going to a mountain and this massive crowd of people following him, and he's trying to get distance, but he's trying to also lead these people. So he retreats up to a place where he can have a little bit of distance to speak. They gather near, kind of like in a setting like this, and it fills in, and then Jesus maybe props himself on a rock or something, and then he just delivers the most profound words of wisdom to the masses that the world has ever seen and it's, or heard, and it's uh, intentionally disruptive. So I envision the crowds, like the Pharisees and stuff, getting stirred inside because he's just poking at different things. And that's how I envisioned the Sermon on the Mount and an initial like overview. Is anybody with me? Similar concept? Okay, well, the problem is at the very beginning of Matthew 5. I want to, let's do a little careful reading. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. So we have this idea that Jesus looks out, the magnitudes gather. They're all there. They're there to see Jesus. Now we have this picture of Jesus seeing the crowds and separating himself from the crowds. It's a different image. He's not pressing in. He goes up onto the mountain and he sits down while the crowds are over there to glean from him. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So this idea that Jesus actually goes up, that the crowds come to follow him, and Jesus separates himself. He sits down on his rock, on this rock, and the ones that are closest to him, the ones that he called by name, and remember, we've talked about this the last several weeks. Andy talked about this. I preached on this. The ones who left everything behind in an instant, 
They left their jobs, they left their families, they left security, all of these things. They are the ones that see Jesus retreat, and they are the ones who stand up and they press near to Jesus and they sit down with him. Jesus looks them in the eye and he begins to speak. It's a critical distinction that I think will serve us well as we try and immerse ourselves into the nature of the story that we are dealing with. The Sermon on the Mount was not a sermon preached to the masses. The Sermon on the Mount was a sermon preached to 12 disciples that pressed in close to Jesus. Why is that important? We're going to read things like Jesus declaring, guys, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. These aren't declarations that belong to the masses. These aren't declarations that are universally applicable. They are declarations that can only be spoken in a setting of extreme intimacy, extreme connection. There is a distinction. You know, like a good painting. If you look at a good painting, we sit like people that are nerdy with paintings. They go to a museum and they sit down. Yeah, heavy. (laughs) And they're like, look at how the light shines right in here and how this person is gazing off. See what the artist is doing? The artist is like drawing your attention to here. And it's, right? Why don't we approach scripture with the same wonder, (laughs) right? We have this setting where there's this crowd that gathers, Jesus separates, the intimate ones draw near, and then a quiet voice in this profound, massive sermon come out in this setting of intimacy. All the details matter. The separation between the crowd and the disciples, the relationship that's going on, it's a profound setting with profound words to God's people. So what's the difference? What is the difference between the disciples and the crowd? There's not a lot of difference between the disciples and the crowd. We don't know exactly who is in the crowd. (laughs) What we do know or what we can be sure of is that the crowd is filled with people of wonder and curiosity. The people form in or they join the crowds because they're curious about Jesus. Now, there could be all kinds of curiosity. There can be a cynical curiousness, like here's the great Messiah who is going to lead us astray, so we need to press close to hear what he's going to say so we can subvert his message. There can be an authentic curiosity. People, there's all stir in our neighborhood that this new one, this Messiah has arrived. Let's press in close. Let's see what he has to, let's see if this all matches up. Is he the one? So you have an eclectic group of people filled with a sense of wonder and curiosity, and they draw close to Jesus. Fishermen, tax collectors, Pharisees, they're all there. The same people that draw near to Jesus, the disciples, they are of the same tribe. They're of the tribe of Israel. They're of normal jobs. They're normal human beings like you and me. The distinction, the divide that marks the disciples and the crowd is two things. 
is Jesus' personal call, his call to the disciples and their response and obedience to him. That's what was the marking of a disciple that separated them from the crowd. So the disciples draw close, and Jesus sits down and begins speaking to the ones who draw close to him. In that context, let's think, this is in no means to take away from Desiree's sermon. She did an amazing job on the Beatitudes. Um, Another way uh, of looking at just the structure of the Beatitudes is these people who have abandoned everything to follow Jesus, Jesus sits down and he starts to read their story to them. Blessed are the poor, you guys, the ones who've left everything, who don't have jobs, who don't, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You're blessed. Blessed are the meek, the ones who aren't going to fight back. When somebody strikes you in here, you're going to turn your other cheek. Blessed are you. That's the story that you're living into as you follow me, and you're going to be blessed. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who refuse to engage in war and all that. That's your story if you follow me, and you're going to be blessed. And the end of your road, the final destination in the human realm is going to be blessed are those when people persecute you. It's the journey of the cross. That is what you're setting out to join me on. And in that journey, the end is going to be profound blessing. Not in the, so we get all like haywired. Like somebody comes up to us and says like, hey, guess what? Like I I have zero money. I'm going into debt. I lost my job. I, you know, loved one died and all. And if you and I responded to that person as like, brother, sister, you're blessed, right? We'd be like, what? Did you not hear a word that I said? Jesus is intentionally reverting back to the very beginning of their story. The very beginning of Israel's story is the call of Abraham. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, I am going to bless you. Why? Because you are going to be a blessing to the end of the earth. Jesus is locating the disciples in the story of Abraham I am the promised one. You are a part of the promised one. And it is in this story that blessing is going to fill the earth. It's the exchange that Jesus can speak only to the ones who have responded to the call of Jesus. It's not for the masses. It's for the ones who respond to the call. Now, so here's, here we get to tonight's text. So they sit down. They just heard how their horrible life is going to be a blessing, right? I mean, anyways. Uh, that was supposed to be funny, but I guess it's not. Um, <clears throat> um, and so they just received that, and then Jesus turns to them. He looks them in the eye, and he says, You are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how is it going to be salty again? It, this whole thing is going to rise and fall on you. Like, you are the hope of the world. You are the light of the world. For everyone to see, 
You don't put that under a bushel. You are exposed for everyone to see. That is who you are. That is what... Okay. Throw yourself as one of the 12. What are the responses that you could have in that moment? I can think of, I can think of three responses that are possible, right? The arrogant guy in the group that is like, Jesus comes in and goes... You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. I'm like, darn right I am. <laughs> Them Pharisees out there, they thought they were the ones. They thought they were going to be the ones that, you know, led people in the right path. But no, it's me. It's you. We're on the in crowd, right? That's kind of the arrogant ego response. Um, disciples probably didn't have that response. The second response could be from maybe somebody in the crowd that seemed to wiggle their way close, and they got in an earshot of Jesus. Maybe another fisherman who fished alongside Peter and John, and, and they hear Jesus look at this group of ragamuffins, a tax collector, a fisherman, and says, hey, guys, you're the hope of the world. And it evokes in them a sense of a cynical response. Who is this guy? These guys, the hope of the world, you have somebody who's been working for the Roman government, you have somebody who's just a fisherman who, by the way, two weeks ago was cussing out the guy who was fishing in his territory, uh, and these guys are the hope of the world? Come on. And then you think, like, this is what I think the disciples' response probably was. Jesus looks them in the eye and says, you guys are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And with a sense of fear, confusion, overwhelmness, goes like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. Jesus, listen. We left everything because you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Not us. That's why we left everything is because you are the one. And Jesus goes, and that's why you're here. Is because you know that the hope of the world is me. And because you know and you have surrendered all to throw yourself in my company, now you are a vessel that can become me. There's this exchange between the disciples' willingness to surrender that makes them available to become the person of Jesus in the world. Now, the text goes on, and I didn't get this until I talked with Andy today. That's why I always talk to Andy before I preach a sermon. He's so much more brilliant than me, right? I was like, I'm just going to preach on the first half because the second half, the whole, like, I didn't come to fulfill the law and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, eh, I don't want to go there, right? But if you think about it with this lens of the pushback between the disciples saying, like, no, 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 you don't got it. You don't, you don't get it. Like, you're the hope, not me. I can't do this on my own. Jesus says, so Jesus then stands up and says, guys, Calm down. 
Their pushback is saying, listen, Jesus, you don't understand. The Messiah is the one who's going to come into earth to intervene on our behalf, to overthrow Rome. The Messiah is going to be the one that does the work. We're along for the ride. And Jesus says, time out. I did not come to abolish the law. I'm not giving you anything that's new. I'm not telling you something that hasn't always been the case. What I am telling you, though, is that I am here as the Messiah to set you free. And it is through you being set free that the world is going to be set free. It is not this, here comes the Messiah, ready, wha-bam, everything's better effect. It's the Messiah makes disciples. Those disciples turn into little Christs, our name, and they fill the earth and the hope, the salt, and the light is spread out. The hope of the world comes through you and me, not by our own power, but our willingness to respond and to surrender to the call of Jesus. Jesus is saying to them, this is what you chose. This is the journey of the cross. It is going to be a journey of blessing in a way that you've never conceptualized of blessing. Now get to work. Let's get our hands dirty. Let's Live in to this and be salt and be light in the world. That to me is a profound call. And this is where like my head starts to go like, you know, I get all crazy. It's like, okay, here we are in our room with like accountants and engineers and, you know, like, we're just your normal folk. How does this land? How does this come down to earth? Does that mean like, you know, and then, okay, I'm just going like, anyway, I'm, I'm a, the tendency, that, and I'm just going to name my tendency so you know where I'm coming from, because I'm still, as pastor of this community, working through a lot of this tension. I think a tendency that some of us have grown like flared up by or triggered by is like, this is our moment to call for revival. It's like, leave everything. Everybody stand up, fall on the ground. Like, right? And it's just like, we get louder and we get like, ah, go, 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 go. Right? And it becomes like this exhausting, like war cry of, ah, so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to go over there. I'm not going to be like, leave everything. So let's just talk about like simple, easy, tangible ways that somebody could like try out this whole discipleship thing. Like, let's make it easy, right? And then that misses the point altogether. Like, Jesus is saying like the total surrender part of yourself is what leads to discipleship, is what leads to being the salt and the light of the earth. So there's no way to like dumb it down. And yet, we serve an infinitely patient 
And good God, through repetition and through his entire story, has shown us that with intense fervor, he is so willing to walk this journey alongside willing people that say, God, I just want to be formed. I just want you to like take control of things and to use me and to shape me in a profound way. You know, I was brought to, I came to Theophilus, I, uh, it was like nine years ago, and we were, Ashley and I had been doing like ministry in North Africa and Muslim communities for five years, and we came to Theophilus, and truth be told, I was a youth pastor before, I was in a, a space where American church, all that kind of stuff, I was really confused, didn't know where I landed, and I found this community of people that were open to the questions that I had, the frustrations that I had, were a soft place to land, and I found a profound community in Theophilus seven years ago to immerse myself back into church life here in the States, to do this process of healing, and it's been beautiful and profound, such a gift in my life. Many of you share a very similar story. Theophilus has been that place of healing for us as a community. And that is such a beautiful and profound thing. When AJ talked long ago about why Theophilus was planted, he would, you probably all heard the story, or those of you who know AJ, he says, I came to Portland and I walked into Stumptown on Belmont and I looked at the guy with tattoos of his tattoos on his tattoos sitting in the Stumptown and I'm like, that's the guy. And he would paint a picture of the person, the, the, the crowd of people in Portland that he felt compelled to preach the gospel to and to bring in to the fold and to the body of Christ. And it was the person in the crowd that was curious enough to follow the masses, but was on the very edge of the the group. And they had one foot out and one foot in, and then just enough to hear. But if one thing went wrong, like we're going this direction. And Theophilus has become just such an amazing space to where a lot of those people, myself included, have been able to come in to find rest, and that is something to be loved, to be continued. We as a church are to be a people that extend out to those who are in places far on the margins and to create copious space for them. One of the challenges or when we have to admit things that we haven't been the best at, we've been really good about going out there, but the things that we haven't been the best at is knowing what to do with the people out there who say like, okay, I'm maybe no longer like way out here on the fringe, like this Messiah guy, I believe that he is the one, and yet I still want to remain like, out here. I just kind of want to like blend in with the group. And not quite knowing what to do, like, uh, how do we go from here to like sitting by the rock with Jesus and like surrendering and abandoning? That's scary. 
Because as soon as you cross that road, you're entering into some dangerous territory and people are probably just going to start running. Like, right? And we feel that anxiety. So what do we do? Is it good enough to just like make a tent out here and just be like, we'll just kind of blend in and be in an earshot of Jesus? And then a few like go this way and a few go that way, but the bulk of us just kind of stay right here. And so the question I want to ask without the answers of how definitively, this is not a three-point sermon of like how we go into sit at the rock of Jesus and become full disciples in three easy steps. Like that's not what we're going here today. But it is, you know, the title of this whole series of epiphany that we're doing is a new season has begun. And I mean, a new season has. We're, we're in a new season. Like, this isn't like the same community that has been always in the world of Theophilus. I want to start to ask the question, what does it mean for us to like take that surrendering step as individuals and as a community to be formed by Jesus in a profound and new way? I just had lunch with, um, with somebody in, in the community this week, and it was like a, it shook me. Um, they have small kids like I have small kids, and the context of our meeting was like, a, he was asking sort of for forgiveness. It was like a repentance type of a thing. And, but a different form of repentance than I had ever experienced in my pastoral like time. He said, I've been overcome with a sense of like uh, heaviness in my spirit. When I came to realize, I looked at one of my ch- children the other day and I realized that they are growing older. The time is not very long until they're out of the house. And... I realized that I cannot remember one time that I have ever prayed for any of our children in our community by name. And then that got me thinking, is there anyone in our community that's ever prayed for my kids by name? Karen has. Yes. (laughs) She absolutely has. I'm the pastor of this community, and in full repentance, I cannot tell you outside of your children being sick when I have prayed for your children by name. If that doesn't concern us as a community, then what are we doing? Like, we, there is a space where I think collectively a part of this like space of surrender is adopting this heartbeat of the disciples that says, like, God, I don't have it under control. I can't be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And he says, that's going to keep you forever glued to me. And because I am the salt of the earth and the light of the world, you will be the salt of the earth and light of the world. You just keep pressing into me. And that is going to bleed out. And then we go like, ah, but if we do that too much, we'll become too intrinsic. We'll become too like this separatist spiritual community. 
The thing is, is if we are pressing into the true heartbeat of Jesus, then, guys, this is what Jesus is saying. Physical action, like you will be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The world around, a marking of that is the world around you will change and will be better. It does not absolve responsibility, it places responsibility onto us as the body of Christ. So the process, I, I mean, again, I don't have like these three easy steps, but what I do want to bring to the table is what does it look like? Andy asked several weeks ago, like, what do you have to leave behind? What is prohibiting you from leaving to follow Jesus? That's like the beginning step. What are the things in our lives that, that mark us from, from taking that step to follow Jesus? What are the areas in our life that prohibit us from putting our hands up and just taking a posture of surrender as individuals and as a community asking God to shape us and to form us in profound ways. On my meet, in my meeting to, with my friend who was talking about not praying for kids, I, like, I was driving down the road and I passed Phil and Priscilla's house and Phil was outside working on his house because he's a machine and I want to be like him when I grow up. But I was sharing with him just some things that God was doing in my life and he was saying, you know, have you ever like done examine prayer? And I was like, Ugh. When I was in school, like six years ago, it's like, you should do it. You should do it. This is what, how I end my nights. And the prayer of examine is a simple practice of, he does it at night. I think it's a great time to do it, is to reflect on the ways in which you saw God move in your world that day, to express them, to name them. God, I saw you here, there. And then to declare how that, how you saw God move is going to change you tomorrow or affect you tomorrow. Did I capture that right? Is that? What a beautiful practice to begin to enter into the realm of surrendering to God. God, you are moving all around me. I currently don't have the eyes to see and the ears to hear exactly all that is, but I am going to begin the journey of being intentional about recognizing and looking for where this, anticipating where God is moving, to call it out when I see it, and then to allow that to change me from the inside out. And us as a community taking responsibility for the journey ahead. We're making a decision right now as a community. Where are we going to go? And we have this profound opportunity where it seems to, too good to be true, where we're making a decision on whether we want to eventually inherit about $3 million worth of assets with all of these like up, space that can be our own, now, we could have a very self-serving mentality going into this decision and being like, God must think that we are so good that he would bestow this. And look at all of these opportunities. It cash flows $7,000 a month, so we don't have to be generous. We could just, you know, grab onto that. And like, right, we can have a self-serving mentality or we can come over here and be like, we don't own anything. 
We don't own anything. Whatever comes into our journey is for the ends of being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. God, how can that serve those ends? And how can we be formed by that as a community and be a community of intense gratitude and extension to the world around us? I think these are the ways in which we, as a community and individually, need to allow our spirit to turn and be charged with a personal response to this call to surrender. I kind of was a pinball all over the place. But I said from the beginning that we're going to talk about surrender. I believe that it's what the Spirit is trying to speak to us and a journey ahead for this community. I'll just leave it at that. Enough said. Tonight we're going to come to the table. If you're serving or if you're playing music, you can go ahead and and come forward. Um, Be reminded as we come to the table that, you know, the story that we read today is Jesus was inviting his disciples into the story of the cross. As we come and participate in this story, it's not just an extension of gratitude for what Christ did for us, but it's an act of participation in what Christ has invited us into. That is the story of the cross. We come to this because every single week we are reminded that we're invited into a story, not just to be thankful for, but to participate in. And in that, gratitude comes. So when you come up tonight, just reflect on that reality and how you are participating in the body and blood of Christ. All are welcome. There's gluten-free elements at all three stations. Come to the table. We have benediction tonight. I was thinking surrender can be a scary thing and can cause a lot of anxiety. So there's this uh, poem by Wendell Berry called The Peace of Wild Things. So let me pray this over us as a benediction as we leave, and then we hope you'll join us downstairs for dinner. But as you think about surrender, let these words wash over you. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Go in the peace of wild things.
You've been listening to the podcast of Theophilus Church. We hope you've been inspired and challenged by what you've heard. For more information, visit our website at theophiluschurch.com.